But listen, we are continuing in the series that we started last week, a series called Are You Judging Me? Are You Judging Me? Where we're walking through some of the judges of the book of Judges, and we return now to that book of Judges, Judges chapter 11, Judges chapter 11. I'm grateful that Brother Keenan has already read the entirety of the verses we'll deal with, verse 1 through 10. I just want to lift... Again, it's an unfamiliar passage of scripture. I just want to lift a few verses from the top of that. Judges chapter 11, verse 1 is where we will begin. Judges chapter 11, beginning at verse number 1. You have it when you say, I've got it. You still look and say, hold up, Rev. All right, you got it, you got it. If not... It should be on the screen. Judges chapter 11, again at verse 1, reads this way from the New International Version. And Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, and his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they had grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not getting any inheritance in our family they said because you are the son of another woman so Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tom where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him and sometime later somebody say sometime later when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel The elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of time. Come, they said, be our commander so that we could fight the Ammonites. And Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're now in trouble? That's enough to be seated in the presence of our God. I want to hang out in that verse right there. Verse number seven, Jephthah said to them, but didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why are you coming now when you're in trouble? I want to preach on this sort of youth and young adult emphasis Sunday in our second part of our series. I just want to use from the title this morning, back then they didn't want me. Dot, dot, dot. Will you turn to somebody and say, back then they didn't want me. Now they're in trouble and they're calling me. All right. Turn to somebody else and say, back then they didn't want me. Back then they didn't want me. Now they're in trouble and they're on my phone. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come into your house one more time. I thank you for the sacred privilege to stand behind this desk. And I thank you, oh God, for the word that you placed in our hearts for this season. Now I pray, O oh Lord, that you will use this preacher one more time. Pray that you would clear my mind, clear my body, clear my mouth. Give me preaching power and strength that I might proclaim what thus saith the Lord. And as we sit in anticipation of your word, God, will you open our ears? Will you open our hearts that we might be receptive to what your spirit has to say? For ultimately, God, it's your thing. Do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, Amen and amen. Turn to somebody and say, back then they didn't want me. Dot, dot, dot. 
Sister Jeffries, I got to confess that I am a fan of the NPR series known as the Tiny Desk Concert Series. For those that are not familiar, these are small concerts that are held with some of the most popular artists from today and from the past. And they are recorded in this tiny desk space in the offices of NPR's staff headquarters in D.C. Last month, they spotlighted some black artists for Black Music History Month, and they concluded with a concert from a rapper from New Orleans, rapper by the name of Juvenile, who was responsible for many hits on Cash Money Records, including the mega smash Back That Thing Up. I know, I know, I know that his concert on Tiny Desk, it's an explicit set. It probably wouldn't be good for everybody to listen to. It's probably not everybody's cup of tea. But I have to admit today, I loved watching the concert. Because it took me back to some of the artists and the hip-hop that was popular when I was a teenager. (laughs) We had artists, we had crews like Juvenile and Cash Money taking over for the 9-9 in the 2000s various different places. You had Cash Money and No Limit in New Orleans. You had Jay-Z and Rockefeller and the Rough Riders and G-Unit and Murder, Inc. in New York City. You had So So Deaf and Outkast and Young Jeezy and DTP in ATL and in Houston, y'all. There was a rap artist, some rap artists that blew up when I was coming up. Artists like Slim Thug and, and Paul Wall, the People's Champ. And and this brother who I identified with because he was brown skin and a little chubby like me. His name was Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. That was the brother's name. Mike Jones' superpower as an artist, y'all, was the genius way that he would market himself with repetitive and easy to repeat hooks and verses. In fact, this is a brother who wrapped his cell phone number into a song, 281 That that's who Mike Jones was and the song that he wrapped his phone number into was the second single off his debut album it was a song called Back Then (laughs) Good God Almighty for those that aren't familiar with the song don't go listen to it unless you hear the edited version but let me give you the church appropriate version of the hook for the song Mike Jones said back then they didn't want me (laughs) but now I'm hot and they all are on me. Back then as a song really is a song about rejection. Let the church say rejection. And a song about redemption. Let the church say redemption. Where Mike Jones reflects on how in one season of his life he was turned away by the women and the sisters and the others that he hoped to be around. But now that he had become a famous rapper, those same people who rejected him were now clamoring for his his attention and his help. And so to memorialize this in musical form, Mike Jones on the hook, and I'm going to give you one more time the church appropriate version. He just repeats, back then they didn't want me, now I'm hot, they all on me. Back then they didn't want me, now I'm hot, they all on me. And family, as we dive into part two of our series in Judges today, I imagine that this story of rejection and redemption is not just the story of 
of Mike Jones, but there are people in this place. There's some folks who are watching online who know what it is to be rejected by people, to be pushed away by people for whatever reason, only for those same people to have to come crawling back at some point back to you, hoping for your friendship again and hoping for your companionship and hoping for your love and hoping for your gifting and hoping for your help. And if you're familiar with this back then, they didn't want me kind of experience, then you already understand the journey of Brother Jephthah in Judges chapter 11. I mentioned last week that the book of Judges gives us a deep dive into the story of six of Israel's judges or military leaders who rule and deliver them from their enemies after Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land. And while it gives us six in-depth stories in this book, there are 12 judges that are mentioned in total. And so after the call story of Gideon that we examined on last week, whose story covers Judges 6 through 8, we get an in-depth look at a wicked judge by the name of Abimelech in Judges chapter 9 and 10. Then we hear about Tola in Judges 10, a judge who ruled for 23 years, and Jair who ruled for 22 years. And they are given five verses total to give us their life story and their legacy. The rest of Judges chapter 10 sets up the backstory for the reign of a young warrior by the name of Jephthah. Let the church say Jephthah. The Israelites once again are doing evil in the sight of God. They are worshiping foreign gods. They picked up spiritual practices that anger God. And the Bible says that God sells them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites. They're enemies who crush them. They shatter them. They oppress them for 18 years. And as the cycle goes, the people of Israel cry out to God, begging for God to stop the oppression and to help. But listen to God's response. It's sharp. And some might even say God was being a little petty. Essentially, God says in Judges 10, chapter 11 through 15, when y'all were oppressed and being oppressed by other nations and you cried out to me, didn't I save you from their hands? But now you've put me down and picked up other gods. Why don't you talk to the other gods? Good God Almighty that you've chosen and let them save you from this trouble. But the Israelites respond by owning their sin. They put away their foreign gods. They go back to serving the Lord. And because of this, and because God loves them, Judges 10 and 16 says he could not bear Israel's misery no longer. And as their enemies, the Ammonites, prepare to go to war against them in the region of Gilead, a rough and rocky and mountainous region where several descendants from the tribe of Manasseh have now settled. The leaders of Gilead say uh, that whoever can take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be the head uh, over all of the Israelites who live uh, in Gilead. And when we get to our key text uh, in Judges chapter 11, we are introduced uh, to the next leader of Gilead uh, who would be, it was a mighty warrior by the name uh, of Jephthah. But Jephthah is not the people's uh, first pick. He is not the one that they would have picked for the job. In fact, we see him being driven away from his homeland by what the text calls his brothers and creating a new life in 
in another place. But ultimately, uh, when the Ammonites began fighting against Israel, uh, the same folks who rejected Jether uh, and back then didn't want him uh, have to go to a country called Tide to find him uh, and beg him to lead them in the battle uh, and to rule over them. And I don't know if anyone in here has ever faced an unfair rejection uh, only for the people to try to return later to get something from you that they need. But I think if we'll take just a few moments uh, looking at the first few verses of Jephthah's story, we'll leave here with some resources and some references uh, for those of us who have ever faced uh, that kind of rejection uh, and God gives us a chance for redemption. And the first thing that the text teaches me this morning is that when you're dealing with unfair rejection, you have to first uh, disassociate uh, from their disdain. Uh, good God Almighty, let me say it one more time slow, uh, that when you are unfairly rejected, you had not done wrong by anybody else. You have to disassociate yourself uh, from the disdain uh, that other people have for you. It's in verses 1 and 2. Jephthah the Gileadite uh, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. And Gilead's wife uh, also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going uh, to get any inheritance in our family, they said, uh, because you are the son uh, of another woman. And so Jephthah fled from his brothers uh, and settled uh, in the land of Tob. The first question that I wrestled with uh, is why was Jephthah rejected uh, in the first place? Uh, the text doesn't say Jephthah does anything wrong. The, the text doesn't say that he stole anything from anybody, that he swindled anybody out of any deals. Why are they doing Jephthah like this? And the answer seems to rest with his family of origin and specifically uh, the nature of his birth. Uh, that he is described as the son of Gilead, which could mean uh, that his father's given name was Gilead or uh, that his father comes from the line uh, of the ancestors in Gilead and his mother, uh, like many powerful sisters in the biblical text, uh, whose patriarchal practice have diminished and dismissed them in the text and in the church. She's not given any proper name at all. She's only listed by her profession. She is listed as a prostitute. And because of the social economic norms of this day, Jephthah is not considered a legitimate son of his father like the children whom his father has had with his father's wife. In fact, this is a fact that is weaponized and used against Jephthah his whole life. Can you imagine what it was like for Jephthah growing up in school, the fights that he had to get into when he'd upset a peer and they come back with a line like this? That's why I paid to be with your mama last night. Can you imagine the kind of resentment that he felt, no doubt, being invited to being uninvited from certain family gatherings and functions at the request of Gilead's wife who did not want to have to relive and rehearse what Gilead had done every time she introduced him to members of her family and the straw that seems to break the camel's back is that because he has illegitimate status Jephthah cannot be listed on Gilead's wheel he's not entitled to dividends from Gilead's stock portfolio nor to any pieces of Gilead's real estate and so Jephthah's brothers say why are you even still hanging around us you aren't getting any of daddy's money. You're not getting any of the 
access because of who your mama is. And what is communicated to Jephthah is twofold. Number one, you're not getting resources from this family. But we also aren't interested in having a relationship with this family. And the Bible says that they drive him out. But what gets me about this family is that if their issues stemmed from the fact that Jephthah wasn't the son of their mother, that wasn't an issue that Jephthah could control. Jephthah didn't make their daddy do or sleep with anybody. Jephthah couldn't control who his parents were or how he came to be. And so while Jephthah was receiving on the receiving end of their disdain and their resentment and their ridicule and their rejection, he's being pushed away for reasons that ultimately don't have anything to do with who he is, what he has done, and the things he could control. And that's an important word for some rejected person that's listening to me today who sometimes take too personally the things that people do to you or the feelings that people have towards you. The word from Jephthah's life is this, that some of the things that people do to you don't have anything to do with you. Good God Almighty, let me say it one more time slow, that some of the things people do to you don't have anything to do with you. Stop wasting precious time and energy trying to figure out why so-and-so doesn't like you when you haven't done anything to them. Why so-and-so doesn't want to be around you when you've only been kind to them. Stop making yourself sick trying to figure out why they don't want to have you in their club, why they don't want you in their organization, why they can't see the value in their ministry. Because if you've walked with integrity and treated people right and minded the business that pays you and folks still reject you, still push you away, still run you off, you need to wipe the dust off your sandals or your tennis shoes and keep it pushing because their disdain and their distaste for you isn't based on who you are or what you've done. My character, my capacity, my worth or my value, but they are issues that are created out of stuff that isn't even in my control. And is there anybody listening to me today that can say, I'm not going to crush myself internalizing and carrying the weight of your issue? family, it does not mean that it does not hurt us. It doesn't mean that rejection doesn't affect us. But it does mean that their rejection is not a reflection of who you are, of your value, and what you bring to the table. And so if my hands are clean and I've done nothing to disrespect you, if you don't like me, that's your problem. If you don't want to be around me, that's your problem. Your issue with me, that's your problem. I'm not going to walk around the world thinking I'm the issue based on the disdain you have that I can't control. I got to keep moving. But will you turn to somebody and say, you got to dissociate, baby. Well, we've been rejected unfairly. Not only do you have to disassociate from the disdain of people who hate you for things you couldn't even control. Good God Almighty. But the second thing you got to do is you got to trust that what has been placed in you uh, is transferable. <laughs> good googly muggly. Turn to somebody and say it's transferable. It's transferable. That what has been placed in you is transferable. Verse 3 says, so Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tyre, <laughs> where a gang, somebody say a gang. 
of scandrels gathered around him and followed him. And sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tyre. Come, they said, and be our commander so that we might fight against the Ammonite. The text says, family, that Jephthah is ultimately run out of the city by people in his own family. Jephthah is canceled. <laughs> Jephthah is blackballed. And he ends up in Syria in a place called Top. And while he's there, the text says that a gang, somebody say a gang, encounters him. And when it's all said and done, the gang ends up becoming followers of young Jephthah. Good googly muggly, this thing is juicy. Y'all got to think about this for a second now. Imagine somebody so bad huh, that he rolls in the blood or crypt territory, huh, which for the normal person would get you checked or assaulted or maybe harmed. And instead of having to join the gang uh, for his survival, they end up saying, no, we need to be under him. <laughs> we need to be led by him uh, and go where he goes. If Isaac Hayes was here, he would say, you know, that young cat Jephthah was a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm only talking. About Jephthah. That is a bad dude. And what struck out to me is that everywhere we find Jephthah in the text, Jephthah is in command. <laughs> everywhere we find Jephthah in the text, it doesn't matter if he's home, it doesn't matter if he's in Tob, it doesn't matter if he's back in Gilead. Uh, Jephthah is leading. <laughs> that before Jephthah rules over the people in Gilead as the judge of all of them, uh, Jephthah is leading and ruling this gang uh, and group of people in top and the message that God is sending through the nuance of the text it blesses my socks off especially when you know what top means that top literally means good somebody say good that even though Jephthah has been rejected by his own and he is now leading a gang the text says that he is still in a good place good God almighty and maybe that's because right where he is he has the opportunity to hone his skill huh? and his understanding as a leader of men, huh? even as the leader of a gang, huh? that God knew Jephthah would need uh, down the road. Huh? It's a good place, Jephthah. Huh? I'm going to develop your skill. Huh? I'm going to develop your know-how huh? to do the work that you're eventually assigned to do huh? on a larger scale. Huh? But I'm going to do it through unconventional people. Huh? I'm going to have you serve an unconventional organization. Huh? You're going to be hidden in an unconventional place but when you look back on it I want you to be able to know that your training ground was a good place and while others may not understand it what you developed in that place in unconventional ways and with unconventional people are the tools and the skills and the systems and the understanding you will need to transfer over to do the same work on a different scale in the next season of your leadership uh, that I'm about to call you to. Jephthah, the place you are in today uh, is still good. Uh, God Almighty and family, I don't know who needs to hear this today, uh, but there is somebody who's been rejected by people uh, and you've been rejected by organizations. Uh, you've been rejected by businesses. You've been rejected by churches and ministries uh, and you're listening to me today uh, and though like Jephthah, you aren't currently in the place you want to be. Uh, you might not be 
be able to see it yet. But God is saying that where you are, as frustrating as it is, as under-resourced as it is, as challenging as it is, is still a good place that you don't even know that where God is developing you is a good place because right where you are, God is cultivating skills and knowledge and understanding and relationships, maybe even in unconventional ways and through unconventional people that will be transferable for the next thing that God is going to lead you to do. Isn't that what God does for David in 1 Samuel 17, who was prepared to fight against Goliath the giant, not because he went to military training, but because God had him doing hand-to-hand combat against lions and tigers and bears as a shepherd in his father's pasture. Isn't that what Mordecai tries to convince Queen Esther in Esther chapter 4, that everything that she had been through, that every place that she had gone had made her who she was for the very thing that God needed to make her a great queen and a great leader for such a time as this. And I got to keep it pushing, but I want somebody to hear me that God will use all of it. Turn to your neighbor and say, God will use all of it. God can turn a hustler into a billion dollar business executive like Jay-Z. God can turn a YouTuber into a multi-million dollar Hollywood producer like Issa Rae. God can turn a gang leader like Jephthah and make him into the judge and the ruler of God's people. And God can use you and everything that has shaped you and everything that you have been through and every experience that you have to prepare you for what God is going to do. Will you encourage somebody in your row right now and say, baby, you're in a good place. God will use everything. God will use everything. God will use everything to develop you and transfer it to the next season. Tell somebody God's going to use it all. God's going to use. I know I'm done. Y'all tired of me. Y'all ready for brunch. Here it is. Talking to the rejected today. When you've been rejected, you got to be able to disassociate from the disdain of others that you can't control. And number two, you have to trust that what you have and what you are doing now is transferable for God's next in your life. But finally, family, when you are rejected, you better also have a ready response because eventually, somebody say eventually, those same folks that rejected you uh, are going to have to spin the block. Where's Drake when I need him? They're going to have to spin the block and come see about you after a while. I'm in the text. It's in, it's in verses 4 through 11. Jephthah has his own Mike Jones moment. <laughs> After being rejected by his people in Gilead and having to flee and make it on his own, leading this gang of scoundrels in what turned out to be a good place for his development. Thank you, Holy Ghost. The same people that pushed him away realize that they need him. And that's why you better be careful how you treat folks. 
because there's some folks that you'll push away that after a while you might need me down the road. I feel like preaching. That's another sermon for another day. But as the Ammonites began to press in on Gilead and the Israelites, somebody says, y'all, we need some help. And what we really need is somebody like Jephthah. Maybe they had heard through the grapevine about his might and his strength through some unnamed exploits and conquests in Tob that he had become so important and infamous that news traveled back to his homeland in an age before the internet and social media. And the elders decide to go to Tob to bring the rejected one back to Gilead to fight for them and with them. And when they get to Jephthah, Jephthah has to decide how he's going to respond. And I'll admit to you, family, Jephthah seems to be a better man here than me. <laughs> because given what has happened, being driven away from my home by my family or by what scholars believe was a tribal decision that was co-signed by these same elders who are now asking him for help. I may have been much more petty, good God Almighty, much more bitter, maybe would not have entertained the conversation at all. But Jephthah has readied a response that encompasses three key things that I'll give you and we'll get out of here. He responds, first of all, by holding them accountable. Somebody say accountability. He says, aren't y'all the same ones back then that didn't want me? Verse 7 said, Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Jephthah entertains the conversation, uh, but not without holding them accountable uh, for the hate that they gave him uh, and the harm that they caused him. Uh, and when you've been unfairly rejected, uh, you don't have to pretend family uh, like what they did to you didn't go down uh, the way that it did. Uh, but like Jephthah, whole people uh, and whole organizations accountable uh, for what they did uh, when they spend the block needing your help. Uh, he responds in a way that holds them accountable, uh, but they don't even offer an apology. They just say, nevertheless, we need you now. And if you join us, you will be the head of all of Gilead. And with that, Jephthah moves from accountability, somebody say accountability, to asking for some assurances. Somebody say assurances. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and, and, and the Lord gives them unto me. He says, will I really be your head? And I like this because Jephthah is showing uh, that he's no fool. Uh, you have shown me who you are already. Uh, and so if I'm going to deal with you again, uh, I need something on paper. Uh, I need something solid. I need something that's ironclad. I need some assurances to re-engage with you. And family, don't be ashamed uh, that when folks circle back after showing you who they are, uh, and even if they're in your own family, uh, to choose to re-engage uh, under certain conditions. Uh, I'll help you, but this time we're going to need a contract. I'll help you, but this time you need a deposit. I'll help you, but I need some assurances by a covenant before God. Because fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. 
So, 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 so the people stamp the assurance uh, by making a covenant before God. They say in verse 10, uh, the elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. Uh, we will certainly do as you say. And so in verse number 11, uh, Jephthah moves from calling for accountability uh, and uh, requesting some assurances uh, to now walking uh, in authority. Uh, turn to somebody say, when they come back, uh, just walk uh, in your authority. Verse 11 says, so Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them and he repeated all the words before the Lord at Mitzvah. And I'm about to go to my seat family, but all I came to do is encourage somebody that when your time comes and tell somebody it will come when those who are rejected and those who have hurt you have to come back around and get your help have to come back around and need your love have to come back around and need your companionship have to come back around and need your report you need to hold them accountable even with some assurances but then all you need to do is walk in the authority that God has given you and do what the Lord has made you to do. Tell somebody that's next to you. God didn't have you in top for no reason. But when they come back, take all of your training, take all of your gifting, and walk in what God has called you to do. So even if back then they didn't want you, back then they didn't respect you, back then they didn't protect you, back then they didn't value you, that when your time comes back around, just walk in the authority that God has given. I gotta go, y'all. I started with Juvie in the beginning. Can I give you some gospel in the end? Because if Donnie McClurkin was here, he would end the sermon like this. I'm walking in authority, living life without apology. It's not wrong, dear. I belong here. So you might as well get used to me. My mother may not be a queen, but my father is king of everything. I'm adopted in the family. So I guess that makes me royalty. He's given me dominion, power, and men. Everything I do is blessed. Promise he'd be a great success. I am the authority. God's in the majority. Living out my liberty. So you might as well get used to me. Is there anybody? I didn't mean to push this hard. Is there anybody in the place today that says they treated me wrong? They rejected me. They despised me. They pushed me away. But when God brings my opportunity, I walk like I own the place. I lead like I own the place. I love like I own the place. Because God has given me the authority. Shout yes. Shout yes. Shout yes. Shout yes. Shout yes. Tell somebody back then they didn't want me. But today I'm walking. I'm serving. I'm moving. I'm 
Shouting in my authority. Shout yes. Shout yes. Tell somebody you were built for this. Tell somebody you're prepared for this. Tell somebody it's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. Walk in your kingdom. Walk in your kingdom. Walk in the power that God has given you. Shout it!